Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Howdy, everyone. It is your host, Adam Childers, here on the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Well, I'm here in the crow's nest here in Oklahoma City, and I'm looking out the window, and there's uh, still a steady downpour of rain out here. And I, uh, all I can think about is that once that rain departs and the sun comes back out, it'll once again be feeling like Houston. Uh, I'm not built for the heat, but some people uh, enjoy this sort of thing, but that's okay. I'm in the friendly confines of the crow nest with climate control, and I'm joined today uh, by one of my very favorite people in the world. Uh, he's a member of the labor and employment section with me. He's one of my fellow law partners and uh, also happens to be one of my very good friends. And that is Alan Hudson. Say hello to everybody, Alan. Hello, Adam. It's good to be back. I'm always uh, enjoy our time together on the Brief Legal Podcast. Indeed, indeed. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm excited, you know, just to have you in the studio anyway. But, you know, you and I both do a fair amount. I say a fair amount at times, a, a tremendous amount of work in the area of non-competition, non-solicitation, misappropriation of change secrets. And as you and I know, that's a uh, that's an area where you've got to be ready to, you know, <laughs> to, to go to court in a, at a moment's notice. And so when there's changes in the law in that area, we pay particular attention. And, and you have identified and actually wrote about in a recent client advisory some, some big changes coming down the pike from the National Labor Relations Board. So I asked you to come on in and, and, and talk about it because it's got both of us, well, a little bit flummoxed <laughs> trying to figure out where the NLRB is coming from. And I don't think we're alone on it, but, uh, but you did a good job of kind of explaining a few things. So I thought, well, let's, uh, let's bring it to our audience's attention. So let, maybe let's just start with some, some basic building blocks here. You know, when I talk about the National Labor Relations Board, you know, I, I notice some people's eyes glaze over because they think, well, I don't have a union. You, you know, why would this even matter to me? But maybe maybe take that on right out of the gate. You know, who does the NLRA, the National Labor Relations Act, and the NLRB as its enforcement mechanism, who does it apply to? Right. So the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, uh, is charged with enforcing the National Labor Relations Act. And a lot of folks have the misconception that the National Labor Relations Act only applies to unionized workforce. And for the most part, that's where the NLRA and NLRB, that's kind of their playground, right? They are generally working with uh, workers and workforces that are unionized. However, the National Labor Relations Act as written is, is much broader than that and can apply to a non-union workforce um, to the extent that employer is trying to infringe on its employees' right to engage in protected concerted activity with respect to their kind of employee benefits or their work environment. Yeah, and you you hit the nail on the head there. It's that protected concerted activity. You can, uh, you know, I, I've seen in the last couple of years under this current administration, I've handled as many NLRB 
uh, claims as I've had in the previous five years. I said as much uh, actually today at the legal lunchbox at the state chamber of commerce and, and not a one of those was a unionized setting. It was just issues of people claiming that they were trying to exercise their rights under section seven, the kind of the biggie of the, of the NLRA. So with that in mind, knowing that the scope of the NLRA is much greater than maybe a lot of people uh, understand, that makes the occasion of the the May thirtieth memo that came out from the NLRB even more important. Tell us tell us what happened. Right, and and before we jump into that, I mean, and, and we don't get political uh, on this podcast, but obviously, when you have a, a Democrat in office, they're a little bit more employee friendly, and they get to appoint members of the board. And so, this NLRB board has been very employee friendly and been very aggressive with you know non union workforces and union workforces, and I think that. That's further evidenced by uh, this memo that was issued by the general counsel on May 30th, in in which she basically takes the position that a non-compete agreement on its face is likely a violation of Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, Put simply, uh, she's gone out and said to her regional directors, like, these things are unlawful on their face and you need to start investigating unfair labor practice charges that are filed that have, you know, any relation to a a non-compete agreement. Yeah. And to just amplify what Alan's just saying there, you know, President Biden campaigned on a promise that he'd be the most activist president since Roosevelt in terms of, of, of backing the unions. So I don't think anybody sees this as anything other than what he promised and, and is delivering on. But uh, the general counsel, uh, I think that's Jennifer Baruzzo, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. So she she uh, is rather unapologetically taking aim at anything that comes across the radar. But this is still one that I guess we shouldn't be completely surprised by because we've had other efforts already during 2023 to take aim at non-competes, right? Right. I think the, the last podcast I did, it seems like I only get asked to come on here when there's a, a non-compete involved. But the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, issued a, a rule, proposed a rule back on uh, January 5th of 2023, essentially saying the same thing. It would place a ban on non-compete clauses in employment agreements or otherwise. Uh, that rule received was open for comments. Uh, it received, I think, 20,000 plus comments. And, and because of this, the volume that they're having to go through, they have decided to hold off on uh, voting on the rule, a final rule, until April of 2024. So you're right. I mean, this isn't a huge shock. Biden, President Biden uh, has definitely followed through with his promise and, you know, uh, supporting employees and, and their freedom to, you know, leave leave a job and, and work for whoever they want, agreement or not. And, you know, we talked back on the FTC deal. This is just kind of new territory because this has always been a state law issue. It, it has been, and, and sometimes dictated by common law or sometimes, as is the case in Oklahoma, by, by statute. But with the federal law preemption, there is a really there's a real chance there that you you could have a conflict that would completely change the landscape of of restrictive covenants. So the FTC that's that's pushed all the way back into you know April of 2024. But you know as it relates to this memorandum, what what can it do? Right. So I mean the memo is not law. Uh, this isn't a, a judge issued an opinion that an employer is going to have to follow. But because she issued the memo and this is her position. Uh, what's going to happen is you're going to have a union or an individual file an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB. 
related to a non-compete, uh, that there'll be an investigation. You'll get to file your position paper, so to speak, and it'll eventually work its way up to the National Labor Relations Board. And the fact that the general counsel for the NLRB has said these things are unlawful, it's, you know, I'm 99.9% confident that the National Labor Relations Board will agree with their general counsel and say that this is a violation of Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act and, and say it's an unlawful um, act to that's prohibiting these folks from engaging in concerted activity. Somewhere out there, there's a defense attorney who heard that percentage and, you know, channeled their inner Jim Carrey and says, you're saying I have a chance, right? <laughs> but but you're right. It seems like fate de compli, right? They're, they're, we know how that's going to how that's going to turn out. And you're right. So it, it may not be binding, but it certainly sets in motion. I'm sure they're out there kind of trying to handpick. I don't mean the NLRB is, but some plaintiff's attorney is trying to find the right, the right case to make this, you know, more, more sticking law. Yeah. Adam, I'm, I'm a little bit more jaded than you. I'm, I'm pretty confident that they've already got a target uh, <laughs> in their crosshairs and we'll, we'll see a NLRB charge on this pretty quick. I think that's right. Now we know that what she said that 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 the general counsel says that on their face these agreements are violative of Section Seven rights. Talk us through the rationale. How do they how do they get there? So essentially, the general counsel did. You've got to justify your position, right? She did come up with five examples of situations in which uh, these types of agreements could infringe on an employee's rights, and and most of the examples she gives are that a non-compete somehow prohibits an employer, really a group of employees, because it's got to be concerted activity, um, from discussing uh, resigning from their employment or from considering resigning to go work for a new employer that has better working conditions. Uh, she also mentions, and we'll talk a little bit about this, but she also mentions they handcuff folks in soliciting their former uh, co-workers from going to work for a new employer that again has better working conditions. And, and I, I think you're, we talked a little bit about this before we got on here, but you know, a lot of it is say you're in a very anti-union workplace. Obviously the NLRB doesn't like that. And so I think what they're getting as it, it at is it kind of prohibits you from saying, okay, I want to leave this anti-union shop to go work for one that's more, uh, pro-union or is union. Right. Uh, but again, it's not it's not limited to unionized versus non-unionized. Which is amazing how attenuated that is when you really think about it, because these are still, by and large, at-will employees with the right to leave and go wherever they, they want to. Now, they may have contractually obligated themselves, uh, you know, in order to receive consideration, like the job that they want, or, or maybe even additional consideration. But the argument then is, well, but that <laughs> they shouldn't even have had the right to be asked to to give up those rights because they should be so unfettered as to be able to go wherever they can and in so doing, you know, dispense with any promises that they made, you know, up to that point in time. Yeah. I mean, it, and there's nothing in a non-compete that prohibits you from talking about resigning. Sure. There's nothing in a non-compete that prohibits you from demanding better work benefits or conditions. And so, again, it does feel like a stretch. And we should mention real quick, this isn't going to apply to all workers, right? If you're at management level, most supervisors, independent contractors, some agricultural workers, there are groups of employees that aren't covered by the National Labor Relations Act. But say you've got a, a salesperson, it's in a non-management level type position, you know, salespeople are the folks that sometimes sign these non-compete, non-solicit agreements because they've got 
you know, the contact with the employer's customers. The relationships. It's going to apply to those folks. But again, if, if you got management level or supervisors, and this really goes back to another good point, and I know we advise our clients on this, you shouldn't have every, you know, Tom, Dick, and Harry that comes in to work for you sign a non-compete, right? You, the janitor doesn't need to have a non-compete. So generally, you're using them for higher level employees that are going to fall outside the scope of the National Labor Relations Act. But to the extent you've kind of got a mid-level salesperson, again, is kind of the best example. It is. It is the best example. And it's the one that we see a lot of battles over, right? Because you're, they're, they're the, the the guys or gals who've known customers for 20 years. They knew them before they came to the company. They knew them after the company. And, you know, there's that age-old argument, you know, do they – do they own that information or does the, does the company, right? But you're, you're exactly right. You know, there are exceptions and, and people need to be mindful of that. We should also mention, too, that this should not be surprising given that, you know, there's been other movement by the NLRB um, kind of signaling how aggressive they're being on, on things that kind of reach out into the normal employment relationship outside of the union. You know, we've talked about the severance agreements. And talk about that for a second because I think it, it bears mention. Yeah, so the NLRB issued a ruling uh, late last year, I think, uh, essentially saying that in a severance agreement, if you have a confidentiality provision or non-disparagement provision in that severance agreement, which – I'm going to use 99.9% again. Most of them have it in there and for good reason, right? Right. Uh, you, as part, you know, usually when you enter severance, you're, you're, you're paying for a little peace and quiet. Uh, and essentially they said that to the extent those are overbroad, uh, you are in violation of the National Labor Relations Act. And, and maybe even overbroad isn't a great way to say it. it. You have to have it so narrowly tailored that you're essentially not getting the benefit um, of the bargain with respect to a severance agreement that contains a confidentiality or non-disparagement provision. Yeah, and that was one of the first salvos that we saw where we knew, okay, <laughs> there it's a full frontal assault on a lot of trappings of sort of the normal employment relationship that we haven't seen them come after. So that so that kind of is a, a perfect segue then into Oklahoma, right? Some people are hearing this and saying, well, you spend a lot of time talking about non-competes, but I know that non-competes are, are, are impermissible in Oklahoma, which is not quite the case. There's uh, some very limited circumstances by statute. You can have some non-competes that, but by and large, Oklahoma is a non-solicitation state, meaning you can keep a departing employee from directly soliciting your established customers, and you can keep them from soliciting uh, directly or indirectly your uh, employees uh, your, and your independent contractors. So, let's kind of apply what we've learned from the NLRB in this in this May memo to Oklahoma. Do you see that having an impact on you know non solicitation agreements? Yeah, so it's it's not clear. The memo only uses the term non compete, and it only uses the context of. Uh, an agreement that prohibits an employee from working for a competitor. So it never talks about non-solicit agreements. However, as one of the examples they use to justify the unlawfulness of non-competes, they do talk about a former employee's ability to solicit uh, his former coworkers. And so the fact that that's an example that they've given, it will not shock me if the National Labor Relations Board through a memo from the general counsel or from just a, a ruling 
they find that, yeah, non-solicit also violates Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act using kind of the same rationale they're using for uh, non-compete agreements. Yeah, that's I think you're spot on on that. And I don't think that's a stretch to see that happen uh, whatsoever. Now, we do think it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, and I know this from, you know, kind of our pre-show discussion that, you know, a non-solicitation of customers, that's a harder uh, bridge to, to cover. Uh, agreed. And I think the general counsel acknowledged that a little bit in the sense that she did make a point to say, like, look, we get that an employer has the right and ability to protect their confidential trade secrets and proprietary uh, business information, which a customer list or, or customer relationships, I think, fall within kind of the purview of a you know confidential proprietary business information. And so I, I don't think they're going to go that far to say that a, a non-solicitation of customers violates the National Labor Relations Act. But I again, it will not shock me if we, we learn, you know, whether it's next week or six months from now, that the National Labor Relations Board views a non-solicitation as it relates to employees is a violation of Section 7. Yeah. And I and I can at least, I may disagree with it, but I can at least see the rationale as they enunciated in the, the memorandum. You know, if you wanted to go out and solicit me because I've been a great union steward before, but you can't because you're, you know, not allowed to, then, you know, I can see where that could play in. Again, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll disagree with the fundamental premise for a long time. Right. But, but you know, that's that's the job we do and the, and the clients that we serve. So speaking of which, you know, what are, what are we telling? clients, what are the best practices that you're kind of preaching, you know, in, in light of what we're seeing right now? Well, I, th- I think, and we've we've talked about this since the FTC thing, uh, ruling came out or the proposed rule came out, is yeah, if you've got a, a true non-compete, yeah, one in Oklahoma, you probably have a limited ability to actually enforce it. But we've got a lot of clients that have uh, workers in Texas where you can have an enforceable right. non-compete. And so I think the first thing you need to do is just kind of do an audit. Who has these agreements? Are they management level? Are they supervisors? Do we even need to worry about this because they fall outside the scope? But to the extent you identify a a salesperson that you've got to non-compete with that's in a non-management, non-supervisory role, you need to look at the scope of it. And I suspect that if you've got one, it's going to you know, be more broad than the NRB would like. And so you may have a Section 7 violation. Uh, So you need to... You know, hopefully you contact somebody at Crow and they can they can work with you uh, on the agreement and try to make it as narrow as possible to to avoid a situation where uh, the NLRB later says, yeah, this is unlawful violation of, of Section seven. Yeah. And and as part of that audit too, ask yourself questions like, do we even need the agreement to apply to some of these folks? Right. Yeah, it, it really is kind of a, a top-down approach. You just kind of have to kind of take inventory of what you've got. And you're exactly right. You know, I you're, you're going to need an employment law pac- practitioner that knows what's being demanded because the, you know it's it's a tightrope to try to get it done. You know, from everything from those severance agreements to you know non non solicits and all the rest. So I think that's that's sound advice. Any other? Well, I just again, you, you can't put your head in the sand on this deal. And I think a lot of, you know, employers in Oklahoma here, National Labor Relations Act, National Labor Relations Board, and just kind of shrug their shoulders because I don't have union workers. Uh, we're not a big union state. There's not a whole lot of union activity here. But right. as you suggested earlier, I think the NLRB has been a lot more aggressive in this jurisdiction 
And, and I think they're probably being directed to, to be more involved in states like Oklahoma that don't have a lot of union activity because obviously the goal of the administration is to, you know, strengthen the union and, you know, make it more available to uh, workers in states like Oklahoma where we don't have a lot of union activity. I think that's a good point. I mean, if you walk away and New York and California are strengthened in their unionization efforts, well, you haven't done much more than just kind of solidify the the old bastions of of, of unions. Uh, but there are places in the heartland or whatever you want to call us, that we get called a lot of different things, the Plains, Southwest, and all the rest. But all I know is that there that if you really want to open up inroads, that's that's a perfect opportunity. That's right. Add in a, a, a new uh, workforce in New York that's unionized or you know a new em- employer that's unionized doesn't really do anything at the end of the day. You can't really brag about that that much. But if you if you strengthen union activity in a state like Oklahoma, then you've kind of, you know, met your promise that you made on the campaign trail. Yeah, that moves the needle. That's that's for certain. Well, it's fascinating. I know that you're right. We've had you in a, a couple of times in 2023 on this. But as you know, uh, I, I value your opinion on all matters of employment law. But in particular, there's no doubt you and I have uh, you know carved out a niche that not a lot of folks have. Um, and so it's, it's really good to have you here to kind of help us explore all this. Again, we, we may not understand fully where they're coming from and we may wholeheartedly disagree, but you know, the NLRB, uh, you know, they are going to continue this charge. And if folks aren't paying attention, um, the better because, you know, it warrants taking a close examination of what they've got out there. So thank you, Alan. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. So that wraps up our show today. But before we leave, I wanted to mention that, uh, of course, Crow and Dunleavy, you know, we've always got people out on the road and going to meet with organizations and and our labor and employment group has, uh, you know, does that as much or more perhaps than any other group here in the firm. And so I wanted to mention uh, our very own Katie Campbell. She's uh, an associate within the labor and employment group. And the fact that she is going to be uh, on June 15th, uh, which is uh, Thursday of the week, this is being taped from one o'clock until 2.30. She's going to be presenting at the Southeast Oklahoma Human Resources Society's meeting uh, at the uh, Choctaw Nation headquarters. And she's going to be speaking on the topic of what to expect in the second half of 2023, which I imagine might include a little bit of discussion uh, and further exploration of what we've been talking about today, Alan and I, as well as a bunch of other fascinating topics, because employment law is just one of those dynamic areas of the law that is ever changing. So if you happen to be in that uh, neck of the woods and uh, you want to uh, visit with a Crow and Dunleavy attorney on some, uh, some you know, more labor and employment topics, I'd encourage you to get out there and and uh, see Katie. She's a tremendous up and coming attorney here with the group. So uh, that puts a wrap on this episode of Briefly Legal. Uh, thank you so much for listening out there. And again, you know, uh, if you take just a moment to, you know, go to wherever you consume your uh, podcast materials, whether that's 
Spotify or Apple, Stitcher, anywhere that you go to get your uh, podcast information. Uh, when you download us and take a listen, if you'd be so kind as to rate us, we sure would appreciate it and follow us and, you know, be sure to check back in. We, we, we keep a pretty regular schedule of uh, dropping new material and it's just so nice to know that uh, we have such a great network of uh, our friends and clients out there in the Oklahoma business community that are listening. So I'll bid all of you adieu and uh, I'll hold on to saying hello to you again uh, next time. And that's when we all gather together for another episode of Briefly Legal. <laughs>